if you've been with us over the last seven weeks or so, we've been talking about healthy relationships in, in a series we call Make or Break. And we've been looking at topics specific to uh, building healthy relationships of all kinds. We're going to continue with that today. Uh, would you turn with me, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, page 474 in the Bibles and the Seatbacks. Don't forget, you can also uh, use the YouVersion app, Bible app, if you have it. Click on it. Bottom corner, you'll see three lines. If you'll click on that, and then you'll see events. Once you click there, Spring Lake Church downtown will be the first one that pops up. Do you remember the first time you compared yourself to someone? I don't mean someone walking down the road, someone you may have passed on a sidewalk. I'm talking about either a friend at school or someone you knew from, you know, longtime family friend. Maybe it was a sibling or a cousin. But that moment in your life when you looked at them and you thought, you're better than me. You're smarter than me. You're taller. You're better looking. You can sing better. You make more money. Whatever it was, you're better than me. Or maybe it flipped for you. Maybe it was the opposite. You looked at them and you thought, I'm better than you. You're awful at this, but I am fantastic. The moment that starts, the comparison game kicks in and it changes everything all about our relationships I grew up in a predominantly upper middle class community and my dad was a pastor so not a lot of money and it didn't really matter much in the early years so elementary school you know every boy just wears their favorite football jersey to school anyway so it didn't really matter and as long as you were halfway decent at kickball you had friends so I had friends but then I got to middle school and into high school and the game changes all of a sudden, I start noticing the shoes they're wearing, and unfortunately, they were noticing the shoes I was wearing, and they had something to say about it. I saw the shirts and the logos they were wearing and the little emblems they had on their pocket, and all of a sudden, I was kind of ashamed of mine. I wanted what they had. I wanted their stuff. Vacation time would roll around, and for my family, that meant me, my brother, sister, mom, and dad pile in the station wagon with no air condition and drive to whatever family member also could put us up or had vacation at that time. My friends would come back, oh, I was in Aspen or Vail, or we went and rented a place in New York City for a month or went to Paris. And they're like, what'd you do? Well, I swam in Grandma's Pond. I wanted so much to have their opportunities. I wanted to be like them, you get into school, and you may hit a tough topic. You get to something in school that just has you locked up, and my friends, because it was a university town, we weren't super far from D.C., there was a lot of uh, government jobs and, and officials, and so whenever they got stuck, they had like a, a university professor to help them one-on-one, -on -one, or they'd get private tutoring. Me, I had a reading disability, so I would publicly get called out of class. Jack, it's time for your learning disability class. I'm like, thanks. Appreciate the notice in front of God and everybody. I wanted so bad to have their favor. I wanted their advantage. Now, in the 80s, your moose and your hair gel were a thing. You guys, some of you remember that. And so they would go to the salons, and they would have the upper end stuff to put in their hair. My mom cut my hair, and you see how that went. <laughs> I wanted so much to look like them, to be like them. It changed friendships. It changed who you sat with. It changed who you hung out with. Luckily, in my favor, I had sports and music. 
So you may look better, you may be smarter, your parents may have more. I'm driving the parents' 77 Mercury Cougar station wagon, which was about the size of this platform, and you're driving your mom and dad's little Porsche or Benz. But I can probably beat you in a sport, and I know musically I've, I can leave you behind. So I had my own way of comparison. The comparison game usually kicks off, let's be real, over stuff that's not super important. It's easy enough to classify people by, though, and eventually, in many cases, we'll create our social circles or our friend groups out of it. It'll tell us who you can and can't and should and shouldn't hang around with. It'll tell you what you can and can't and should and shouldn't buy, because what will others think? Some people end up declared off limits. A lot of times, I would look at people, and I didn't like them because I wasn't like them. I didn't like them because I wanted to be like them. Wouldn't it be nice if when you finished high school and they gave you that diploma and you walked out the door of the school, you left all that comparison stuff inside the building? Wouldn't it be nice if when they put that diploma in your hand and you walked outside of that door, inside that diploma it said graduated with degree and relational maturity. And you never had to worry about that stuff Again, it just doesn't happen that way. I moved here from right outside of a retirement community, and there were 70 and 80-year-olds still trying to one-up each other. No kidding. My golf cart's better than yours. My golf game's better. Look at the area of the village you live in. Look at where I live. Look, I can stay up past 8.30 at night. (laughs) It still goes on. It doesn't end. And unfortunately, social media has just made this worse. How many people like my post? How many people loved my post? How many people like my picture? Wait a minute. I posted that and then they reposted it and they got more likes than I did. Why is that? We get in this big comparison game. <gasps> Honey, look at their new living room. That's 37 pictures and color change later. And they put some sort of lens on the picture to make it look different. But we start comparing ourselves to what we see. The comparison game kicks off, and it's even worse when we find ourselves moving in. I've used this illustration before, but moving into the land of Ur, we've got to be prettier and richer and taller and bigger and skinnier and successful Ur. We've got to live in the land of Ur, and it's not a comfortable place to be, and it gets worse when we run for mayor of the land of Est. Prettiest, richest, tallest, skinniest, successful Est. Funniest, funnest, smartest. Pick your description. Our relationships cannot thrive there. And as Bill and Adam talked about a couple of weeks ago, number one, you can't be authentic when you're constantly comparing yourself and trying to live up to someone else. And number two, there is a heart issue at play where you think you always have to be like them. Unfortunately, we can never be who we were born to be as long as you're looking over your shoulder at others in competitiveness. Don't be distracted by the success of others. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we'll start reading at verse 4. King Solomon writes this, he says, and I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. 
Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. So I want to look at two principles, make or break principles, that are in this passage. And then we're going to look at several other scriptures that kind of put handles on these principles. Here's the first principle. There is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison. Look at what he says in verse 4. King Solomon writes, I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. There's no win in comparison. Stop comparing yourself to the people around you. Their job. Their kid. Their apartment. Their house. Their prayer life. Their grades. Their singing. Their cooking. Stop comparing because there's no win in comparison. If you want to compare yourself to someone... Compare yourself to the person you saw in the mirror a year ago. How far have you come since last year? Well, they're doing, it doesn't matter what they're doing. How about you? You say you need to get healthier. What steps have you taken from last year to this year to move toward getting healthy financially? You say you keep wrecking yourself. What steps have you taken from last year to this year to find yourself in a financially more stable, peaceful, prosperous position. In your marriage, what have you done to invest in your marriage? Don't compare to anyone else's marriage. Where are you this year from last year? And the big one, how about your walk with Jesus? Because if you get that in line, the others will fall into proper perspective. But if your eyes aren't on him and your eyes are on everyone else, you'll quickly find yourself sinking. Why? Because there's no win in comparison. Don't try and play someone else's game on someone else's field. You don't have their life. You have your life. Run your race. Play your game. Comparison puts you at odds with other people that you will never be like. We blame them for our problems, but the problem is ours if we're living in comparison. Comparison helps us to realize what we will never have, that will never happen, and it seems like it'll never change. You don't improve your life when you pray to God. You don't improve your relationship with God when you're praying, God, make me just like them. Or even better, God, make them just like me. There's no win in comparison. There's no way to compare your way to peace. There's going to be a passage on the screen, and I'd like us 
to read it together. It's going to be Proverbs 14.30. Now, I'd like us to say the address, which is the Proverbs part on the bottom, and then let's read the verse together. Ready? Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart at peace can give life to the body, but envy, and when you live in comparison, it rots the bones. There's no win in comparison. Comparison puts the dis in discontentment. Here's the second principle. There's no win in chasing the win. There's no win in chasing the wind. Now, you may have a job or a place in life or in the community where you have influence, you have affluence. You may be in a place where you've been blessed monetarily or with stuff. Man, praise God for that. It's nothing to look down on at all. But if you spend your life doing nothing but chasing the stuff, you will quickly learn there is no win in chasing the wind. You end up coming up empty. Verse 6 of our Ecclesiastes passage. It says, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing the wind. Better one handful. You've got your supply. Uh, you've, your needs have been supplied for. You've got the roof over your head. You can eat. Better one handful with tranquility and some margin in life. The ability to bless somebody else. The ability that if God puts an opportunity in your lap to say, I can handle it. I can do that. The ability to spend time with people who truly count. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls clenched tight and chasing the wind. I'd love to hang out with you guys, but you know, I got I to gotta make some money. I'd love to hang out, but I'm running and gunning. I'd love to do, I'd love to be able to, but I can't do a thing. I can't pick up anything else. I can't handle anything else. Better one handful in tranquility than two handfuls with toil, wearing yourself down, worried about what everyone else thinks, and chasing the wind. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 12, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There's no win in comparison. There's no win in chasing the wind. So if I can't win the game by stuff, if my relationships actually get worse, we'll see that in a minute, by chasing stuff instead of building relationships, then who am I doing all this for? Or as Solomon said, who am I toiling for? Verse 8 gives us a, a picture of the pointlessness of, the, of working for stuff in relationships in life. Verse 8 says, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. Stop right there for a second. So in this time frame, as Solomon's writing this, a man, as he married, once he had an oldest son, everything, if he died, all of his stuff would go to his son. His son would take care of the rest of his family. If he had no son, 
then everything that he had earned, everything that he owned, would go to his brother, who would then make sure the wealth was distributed and it would take care of his family. Solomon's saying, this guy had nothing. He had no son. He may not have been married, going by this parable in the time frame. And he had no brother. So everything that he got was going to total strangers if something happens to him. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Look at this. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. I love the word picture at play here. His eyes were not content with his wealth. There may have been plenty in the bank account. There may have been plenty in the house. (gasps) But I see that and I got to have it. The car, the boat, the shoes, the stuff, the position, the office, the sound system, the TV. Six months same as cash. I see it. I got to have it. His eyes were not content with his wealth. He asked, for whom am I toiling? Here's the wake-up call. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. Here's a question I would ask you is, what are you selling your soul for? What is it that's so important? What's the stuff? What's the position? What's the title? What's the notoriety? What's the circle of friends? What is it that's so big, so important that you'd sell out everybody else? What are you selling your soul for? If you're claiming, well, I'm doing it for them, my question would be, really? 19 years as a youth pastor, hundreds of families talked to, And do you know how many times I've heard students say, I'd rather have their time than another dime. Now, yeah, they want the phone, they want the TV, they want, but man, they want the time with their parents. Actually, I had a family member one time say, I wish my dad was unemployed. Purely for the time aspect, I wish mom could be mentally available for any kind of time. It's miserable. It's a miserable business chasing the wind. It's a miserable business living in comparison. If you're saying today, I'm here, I'm in church, I'm a fruit of the Spirit, joyful, Jesus-following Christian, and yet you're living life miserably, you're probably making those around you miserable too. Why do I say that? Because misery loves company. If you're not enjoying life, there's a real good chance that people probably aren't enjoying you. Solomon says it's meaningless. It's a miserable business. Why am I enjoying, why am I depriving myself of enjoying them? I'm burying myself instead for stuff, for titles. Some of you may be in a role where stuff counts or our titles count, or maybe that's kind of your love language is people recognize who you are, how important you are. And that does bring people around, mainly kiss-ups. And they will be your friend as long as you can give them them what they need or what they want. But when you're running that race with them and all of a sudden you can't give them what they want, you find yourself running alone. There's no win in comparison. There's no win in chasing after the win, no matter what your income or your title, no matter how much stuff, real and authentic relationships are built over time and what truly pay 
dividends. Look at what Solomon had to say. Let's start at verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Pause right there. Who's the person who helped you up? Who is it that was there? This is where relationship comes into play in a way stuff never can. Who was it your freshman year of high school when you were like still in a sixth grade body and you were walking around seniors and you had no idea where your class was and they actually were kind enough to you to help you get there? Your first day on the job, same type of thing happens. They tell you where things are. They help you with the supplies. They help you be successful and look like you almost know what you're doing. Who was it that when your marriage was falling apart, they were willing to step in? That when you didn't know what to do with your kids or your parents, they were willing to speak life? Do we make the same investment, the same thank you into that relationship as we do stuff? Does it count? Verse 11. It says, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Relationships provide protection. Investment, proper investment. The wind comes investing in relationships. Who's with me? Who am I really doing this for? Because chasing more will just leave you wanting more. Uh, Psalm 34 and verse 10 says, Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We'll end up less generous when we chase stuff. Less generous at times at the expense of those who should matter most. Remember this, less is more when the less you hold is what you were created for. One hand with tranquility instead of trying to grab two handfuls with toil and wearing yourself down. Here's what I want to challenge you to. The next blank on your outline. I want you to determine, I will not chase the wind. I will not chase the wind. Philippians 4, verse 11 through 13. The Apostle Paul writes, I am not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That word do there is also translated endure. I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. Not because of stuff. Paul says, I've had stuff and I've had nothing. I've ate really well and I've been hungry. And I can get through it all because of Jesus. Relationship numero uno. Our culture tries to sell us everything on the web, on browsers, identities you should have, followers you should have, stuff you should have, but I'm not going to chase the wind. Now, some of you are going to struggle with this before you even leave the building this morning. You're going to go pick your kids up from kids' church and the family beside you. Their kid's going to come out and their picture will have been colored in the lines. And the little glue ball or cotton ball will be stuck in the right place on the sheep. Your kid, your kid's going to come out with peanut butter all over their head and like glued cotton balls on their eye. And you're going to look and you're going to go, I wish, uh-uh, 
I'm not going to chase the wind. Everyone's going to talk about going out for lunch afterwards. They're going to get in their car and drive away. You're going to get in your car and sit there because it's not starting. I will not chase the wind. Mainly because your car won't start. It's hard to chase anything. But I will not chase the wind. I will not want what everyone else has. Last song's going to play. Person beside you is going to be singing like a songbird, and you sound a little more like a buzzard. I won't have what they have. I won't want what they want. I will not chase the wind. Don't let the whisper of comparison start. Beware of the whisper, that whisper in your ear that says, I need this. I need this to be acceptable, lovable, respectable. Don't listen to it because the person beside you is hearing the same whisper just in their own voice. And it may be about you or it may be about someone else. I will not chase the wind. Can you say that with me? Ready? I will not chase the wind. Again, I will not chase the wind. One more time. I will not chase the wind. Life is bigger than this. Remember this. There are people around the world today, I would venture to say a billion people around the world today who would trade problems with you. They didn't have to worry about picking clothes out this morning. They only have one set of clothes. They didn't have to worry about if their shoes match their outfit. They don't have shoes. They're not worried about their car because they've got to walk 10 miles to get wherever they're going. There's no win in comparison. And I will not chase the wind. As we saw earlier, Proverbs 14.30, envy rots the bones. I want you, when you leave and you see the little child comparison you want to make or the car comparison you want to make today or somebody else's clothes that are nicer than your clothes, say it out loud. Not too loud, they'll think you're crazy. But say it out loud, loud enough for yourself to hear, I will not chase the wind. Solomon's writing this at a point in his life where he's old. He's got it all. I mean, seriously, he's beyond the point of saying, I wish I could drive that. I wish I could have married that. I wish I could have owned that. He's got all of it. He's recognized as the richest man who lived in his time frame, and many say the richest man who ever lived. He's got it all. And yet in this, he comes to the conclusion that it's all meaningless. A chasing after the wind. This chasing is endless pointless. There is no trophy. There is no finish line. There is no winner. There is no peace. Discontentment, dissatisfaction, guaranteed. There is no win, win in chasing the win. I want to give you just a few closing thoughts and then we'll, we'll be done. First of all, count your blessings and not your neighbor's blessings. Celebrate when them when they're blessed, but count your blessings because every one of us in this room has them. Embrace what and who is right in front of you. And when you start comparing yourself to your friends, tell yourself, here's your word of encouragement for the day, knock it off. Cut it out. Stop. I, there is no win in comparison. I will not compare. Count your blessings. Run your race you cannot run your neighbor's race on their field. You've got to do you. 
You've got to be who God created you to be. You can look to others for inspiration, but not imitation. Run your race. Be happy and be satisfied with what you've been blessed with. Realize there's no win in comparison. Thank you, God, for what you've given me. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Stuff doesn't do it. We've already talked about that. But I'll tell you this, too. If you're looking for a relational hero, someone to take away all your problems, it doesn't work that way either. There's one person. There's one relationship that is key and foremost, and that is your relationship with Jesus. Some of you are, are here this morning, and you're not into this Jesus thing yet. You're still looking around, still checking it out. You can put the principles we talked about today into practice in your life, and it will bring more joy to your life. It will bring more contentment, maybe even a level of satisfaction. But Scripture says there's only one who stays closer than a brother. There's only one, John 3.16 says, that God sent his one and only son that by believing in him we can have eternal life. It's not about chasing stuff. It's about the one who truly gives us life. If you're here this morning and maybe you haven't had that relationship with Jesus, you haven't taken that step, and you say it's time. It's time worshiping stuff, putting positions on the big seat of my life. You say, today's the day. After service, there'll be prayer partners up to the front. I encourage you to come up, have that conversation. Find me in the lobby. Let's talk. But in closing, I'd like to pray for all of us to have that heart of contentment and realize the blessings we have. Lord, we, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, you've been just too good to be seen as good. We thank you that you are a great God. We thank you that you are holy awesome and you are pure and you are always right and you are good and you are faithful and you are just and you're our friend scripture says that when we're in you you're in us there's a relationship there we thank you for that blessing we thank you for that hope i pray we realize how good you've been how much we've been blessed by what you've blessed us with and the people around us in christ's name we pray